There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of the Recruiting Future podcast. My guest this week is Adrian Thomas. Adrian has held a number of senior strategic positions at some of the UK's largest employers. He is currently working at the Cabinet Office and is also chair of the Recruitment Society. We cover a lot of topics in this interview, including RPO versus in-house, what metrics organisations should measure to ensure great recruitment practice, and how employers can align talent attraction and talent management. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Recruiting Future podcast interview. Uh, my guest today is Adrian Thomas. Hi, Adrian. How are you doing? Hi, Matt. I'm doing great. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad at all. Not too bad at all. It's, uh, it's Friday um, today, and Fridays are always, uh, always good. Um, could you start off just by introducing yourself, telling us uh, what you do, um, you know, how you've got there, what you've done in the past, uh, all that kind of thing? Sure. Um... I recently held a whole bundle of um, in-house uh, recruitment roles and uh, covering some some of the UK's more recognisable names like uh, GSK and um, Royal Bank of Scotland and Network Rail. Um, more recently, I've been uh, consulting and sort of helping support organisations set up recruitment. And uh, that led me into my current uh, role with the Cabinet Office, um, helping them um, introduce a talent management talent acquisition uh, process uh, uh, capability across the recently formed project delivery profession. And um, they are very keen to have the very best project managers delivering uh, what is effectively the country's most important and largest and highest risk projects. And it's important that they get their very best project managers assigned to the, to the right project. So I'm brokering moves um, within the civil service. Uh, to make sure we make maximum use. And, and, and sometimes when that doesn't work and we have to reach out into the uh, private sector, I'm helping them do that recruitment as well. Uh, I guess the, the one consistent thing across uh, um, my career in recruitment has, has been my um, membership of the Recruitment Society. And uh, in that context, I, I'm, I'm now chairing the Recruitment Society. And I think um, uh, you know, I'm a big advocate for recruitment and the role it has to play um, in in companies and and um, and other organisations, uh, wider uh, public and, and private sector organisations um, today, and and the value that a really good recruitment practice can bring. So, um, for those people who might not be uh, familiar with the Recruitment Society, could you sort of tell us a little bit about um, you know what it is and um, what it what it does? Yes, well, a, a characteristic of the Recruitment Society is it doesn't represent any one sector. Most of the other representative bodies have at their centre, you know, they're either representing agencies or they're representing in-house or they're representing particular. Uh, branches of recruitment, whether it is uh, psychometrics or whether it's advertising and so forth. The Recruitment Society is a really broad church and it's um, 8,000 plus members um, reach across all branches of, of recruitment. And and then we've, we've often been seen as a, as a really uh, great place for uh, to, to go to to comment on what is best practice, appropriate practice, because we have that independent review across all the sectors and, 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 and the reliance on months. 
So I'm going to come back and um, ask you about best practice and, um, you know, your view on, um, you know, certain things that are going on in recruitment at the moment um, from the kind of recruitment society perspective. Um, but first, I'd just be interested to, um, you know, to find out a little bit more about um, how working with the civil service is is different from, um, you know, your sort of previous previous roles in the private sector. Well, I was delighted to uh, be asked to to help them um, set up their uh, um, their new approach to to maximising the use of the talent they've already got and and, and reaching out to to um, uh, beyond the civil service for for talent they've yet to acquire. Um, what I found is, is that both private and se- uh, private sector and public sector really um, have a passion for hiring the very best, and often. Um, haven't really got a uh, an, uh, a clear understanding of how how best to reach out to get that um, uh, best talent into their organisation, and they uh, will usually uh, take an approach to recruitment that is haphazard, or the way they've always done it, or it's part of somebody else's responsibility. What I uh, what I found um, that uh, um, consistent. Um, between um, the private and the uh, public sector, is that when you talk to them about uh, what recruitment can offer and the, and the distance it can make, you, you, can, um, you have people that can listen. The one big difference is the civil service um, you know, is very, it's a difficult word to put it, but it is very open to public scrutiny. Um, yes. Whereas the private sector uh, may move with a speed um, and focus that um, lands them a, a great person in the role. But, but recruiting in the civil service requires much more openness and transparency about how decisions are made and how appointments are made. And that can slow things down a little bit. But it, 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 it doesn't um, impact the final um, opportunity, I think, so the, the final uh, bringing in the right people uh, if it's done appropriately. And I'm aiming to try to bring a little bit of private sector drive to the great ethics and transparency that's already um, encased in the uh, recruitment process in the civil service. I think the best of both worlds. That sounds like a, I mean, yeah, that sounds like a, a, a pretty interesting combination. Um, sort of changing direction and um, just wanted to sort of get your opinion on, um, you know, a few uh, debates that are kind of out there in the in the industry at the moment. Um, and, and the first one would be RPO versus kind of in-house. So, um, you know, what's your view on outsourcing recruitment um, or having an in-house team or, uh, you know, a, a mix of the, a mix of the two? I, I think, um, the arguments here have been well rehearsed and can become quite polar uh, in in-house uh, professionals believing that uh, uh, they have all the answers and um, they can represent the company and the brand. And, and there's an element of that in that. Whereas RPOs talk about, well, actually, that's their core business and they bring consistency and process um, to to um, to uh, and get control of the recruitment um, activity and can deliver a lot cheaper. Um, I think there is one aspect that, that's completely missed in those polar arguments um, that is the most important um, part of it. Um, RPOs very rarely um, offer uh, uh, internal recruitment services that are aligned to talent management, talent development. 
if they are running in um, in-house recruitment inside, it's run very similar to the way they would run recruitment externally, very process-driven, um, and um, but based on uh, service levels and, and driving that, you know, cost levels and service levels, time to turn around things, time to answer calls, etc. Um, what is missed? What is missed in 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 in, 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 in and this is what I'm bringing in my current role to the service, is actually there's great talent in all organisations. Um, but companies have spent fortunes hiring in and developing and training, um, setting objectives and managing against those. Um, they're people that are already in the organisation, and they know who those great people are. And um, uh, it's really sad to me that, that, um, uh, that uh, the vast majority of people probably go through their life without ever really discovering what they're really great at. And I think organizations have a real responsibility to help people find out what they're great at and to, and to get that uh, talent deployed into an organization. Um, in-house teams can do that. They can really work with other, uh, with line managers and with HR managers to um, really build close links between the role that people do, their development plans, their readiness for the next role, their stretch that being put into jobs, and moving them in the organization to the organization's best interest. Um, in-house teams are also there um, if, uh, uh, if that movement isn't working I mean, and they need to go outside, then they understand the role, they understand the culture, the brand, the intimately of the organization. And so they can bring all of that good practice and um, practice with the, with the knowledge of the brand and the culture of the organization they want to do. And finally, in-house teams, where I've seen them um, deployed really effectively, um, also can help when organisations are struggling. Um, and they're um, looking at how to restructure or to, um, you know, even in worst-case scenarios, closing facilities, closing sites, reducing workforce. Having a, a, a talented group of people who are whose core role is um, uh, interviewing, assessing, uh, um, uh, looking at uh, roles and bringing out those roles, those key skills. They're the same skills you use when you're downsizing and you're selecting people, etc. So I think in the full uh, fullness of use, an in-house team has trumped an RPO uh, 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 outsourced agreement or, sim- or any similar agreement. When it's, when it's uh, looked at in the, in the full roundness of the services it can offer, um, often we don't find them doing as much as I've just described, and that's and that down to companies to realise they're missing the trick. Okay, and thank, thanks. That's a really, um, I think that's a really interesting and useful, um, you know, answer and a contribu- contribution to the to, to the debate. Basically, um, just to. Um, you you obviously mentioned um, uh, at the start there about um, you know the sort of metrics that um, RPOs are kind of measuring in terms of you know cost and cost and speed and 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 all those kind of things. Um, what's the sort of value of of great recruitment practice t- to you? And and what do you think companies should should be doing? And how the, how should they be measuring um, success in this area? Well, there's. Um there's the one that all drop into the cost per hire, which is an absolute crazy measure. Um, it's one we have to know. Though. Um, if you don't understand finance, you don't understand cost, if you don't understand value, uh, it's very difficult for, for heads of resourcing or senior recruiters or HR people to have those meaningful conversations with finance directors and the management of, of organisations. So we, we have to speak the right language. 
And if we can speak in that language, we can get people to start thinking a little bit more broadly than simply around cost for hire. Um, there's a great conundrum that people come up with all the time. I hear all the time about quality, cost, and time. Um, you can have high quality, you can have low cost, you can have fast time, you can't have all three together. Pick two, people often say. A um, number of times I've been pitched to by organisations, um, both RPOs and recruitment agencies and executive search firms, who say they can do all three. Um, they can't. And I don't believe anybody. There may be an exception, and someone's going to probably comment on this on this podcast and say they can. Um, but <laughs> I'm, 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 I'd be really shocked, and I'd be delighted to go and visit an organisation that says they can get those two things together. In my in my view, um, uh, it, it doesn't. It's not a single metric. It really depends on the hire that you're making as to which of those metrics are important to you. And yes. quality is the one that sets that upset most. And if you if you are not hiring for high quality, then I'm not, not sure what you're hiring for. Are you trying to recruit the worst applicant? I mean, I want low quality. So uh, quality is an unusual one. And, and how you measure that is, is a really interesting um, uh, debate as well. And how you align your recruitment processes um, to your um, talent management and your development processes. I can perhaps talk more about that later. But... Um, the, the quality cost time piece, I think, dependent on the type of recruitment. If you're looking for a, uh, a, a an interim turnaround specialist who's going to come in and spend three months grabbing hold of your most important project that's worth billions potentially in lifetime cost, um, and you just want them to get in and, um, uh, uh, and, and, and deliver a new setup, a new team to manage that project. Then you're not you're not going to be, you're not going to spend you know, months and months and months doing a full recruitment process based on who's got all the right soft skills to lead an organisation. You want someone who can arrive on Monday, who can who can stump the desk and make the changes. So their time has to be fast, and you compromise on maybe the cost uh, because you, the cost of not having that person in is is more than the cost of getting them in that month. But you need to understand what the what the role that you're recruiting is for, and then and then appropriately pick your metrics. That makes a lot of sense. So you, I mean, you you sort of talked a little bit about this before, and you you kind of alluded to it there, um, and you know the the the, the, the sort of connection between um, you know talent acquisition and um, you know talent talent management. Um, what is it that organisations need to be doing in this area to kind of sort of reap the the biggest benefits? Well, I would say. You know, they need to step back and actually think, is their recruitment process is meaningful? Is their recruitment meaningful at, 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 the, at the basic level? Um, and by that, I mean, do they actually take notice of their recruitment practice? Um, yes. The uh, uh, time that is spent building um, a, a really good brief um, for either an internal team or an external partner to, uh, to use to recruit against is really valuable. The understanding the role and understanding where to go find the right people. If you simply put adverts out, you just cast a wide net, and, and some adverts will attract more than others, and some um, advertising routes will attract more than, more than others. But actually, what you want is to communicate very precisely the type of individual that you uh, are looking for to join your organization. And individuals know their own skills better than anybody else. 
So the more information you can give, the better you can articulate the role in the right language. The more likely you are for somebody to say, actually, that's the role for me. I may, may be on the market, I may not be on the market, but I'm going to apply, I'm going to put my name forward um, for that particular role. And then we spend a lot of time and effort making people go through recruitment processes often, and only to find the manager has made their decision on a, and on the first 10 seconds of somebody walking in the office. So that's yes, what I mean by yes. meaningful. Are we, yeah. are we actually spending the right amount of time and explaining what the role is? Are we spending the right amount of time and effort and affecting the right people? But at the end of the day, have the managers brought into that process? Have they been trained? Are they going to make the decisions based on all of that time and data that um, we've either put in or we've collected and made a made decision that is going to align um, the, the, the incoming individual with the team that they've got uh, already, with the team that they're joining, and the activities of the organisation? Or is it simply a gut feel? And, and, and that sounds a little bit weird, but um, I've heard it time and time again where... Uh, uh, managers uh, will often say, I know who the right person is when I see them. I know it is when they walk through the door. Um, and, and time and again, I've seen people join an organization and leave within three to six months because they were the wrong individual. The ones that I've seen today are the ones where there's been a really great recruitment practice that's really aligned um, the uh, uh, values and, and requirements of the organization with the individual. And the individual has gone through a proper recruitment process where they have met more than one person, where they have bought into the organization. At the end of the day, these things are two-sided. Um, an organization only offer a role, the individual's got to accept it. And if you want to um, have longevity, if you don't want to have retention problems, then getting the uh, right information to the candidate is absolutely vital into the candidate to decide that that's the company that they want to join. And, and finally, I'm but a number of times as I've seen the competencies that are used to recruit people um, uh, are not the competencies that organizations use to develop them. To me, it is an absolute no-brainer that the uh, competencies and values that you use to uh, measure your objectives uh, against when you're developing um, your, your individual organization they have absolutely have to be the competencies that you recruit against. Otherwise, you're recruiting an apple to become a pet. And, um, and to me, simply, that's dark. So, final question. What's next? What do you think um, we should be sort of looking out for in recruitment in the next um, 18 months to, to, to two years? What's, what's coming over the horizon? Well, you know, I've had that conversation a number of times. In, in, in fact, by email, well, with an ex-colleague of mine from the network there this morning. Um, and um, I, I think um, that there's, there's a good vibe in, in recruitment. There seems to be lots of people uh, applying for, for lots of roles. Um, and um, that, that often comes from a level of confidence. You know, the people, uh, companies prepared to uh, uh, recruit and, and increase their staff when, when there's a degree of stability in the economy and when there's uh, um, you know, a, a hope that um, uh, the, the economy is going to uh, grow and um, there's, there's uncertainty is being removed. And, and, and just maybe you know, the recent election has given some organisations uh, some companies that, that's confident. But also on the candidate side, um, 
the, uh, the desire to move jobs, um, to risk moving your pension from one company to another, uh, to take a, a risk in a promotion, um, to move out of your comfort zone. All of those things are, are, are decisions that candidates think about when they think about leaving a role and applying for another. And yeah. I think, again, um, when uh, economy is, is inflation has been very low, um, in, you know, I think it's you know, circa zero um, at the moment, year on year, uh, or, the, or certainly the, um, the, the, the consumer price index is anyway. Um, that sort of, that sort of, those, those sort of two bits, the two elements of stability, the economy, um, uh, and the, com- the companies preparing to invest and candidates willing to put themselves forward means there's never been a better time for, for recruitment to demonstrate its value it can add um, into uh, companies and organizations in, in the furtherance of, of building um, great people in great jobs for great great companies. Fantastic. Thank you very much for talking to me. Thanks, Matt. I really enjoyed it. My thanks to Adrian Thomas. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or on Stitcher. You can listen to past episodes and read show notes at www.rfpodcast.com and also subscribe to the mailing list there to get exclusive content and find out about future guests. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.